0: Thank you very yeah, About artist residencies. Uh, Regina has had a lot of experiences with uh, overseas artist residencies, and uh, my limited understanding of what Regina does is she works Mm -hmm. with an article Mm -hmm. of the Human um, United Nations.
1: The Declaration of Human Rights.
0: The Declaration of Human Rights, in situ in a particular country she's in. But I'll leave her to talk more about that later. Um, But it's wonderful to have you here, Regina. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for coming. My pleasure. And Roslyn, it's great to have you here too. Thank you. Roslyn heads up our Talking Arts program in the Lower Mountains. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's good to have Roslyn here to sort of help us out today. Roslyn's actually heard Regina... uh, give this uh, particular speech before, so she's going to sort of enter into conversation with Regina um, what we'll do is we, what we, we, we podcast uh, for half an hour uh, the podcasts are available on the Talking Arts website
2: thank you Thanks. well, my first question to Regina was, did she want me to be Graham Norton or David Frost so we've gone for me <laughs> Regina actually came and did this presentation at Mid-Mountains um, Talking Art a couple of months ago for a small group of us and it was really very informative because a lot of people want to know about residencies because even if we don't get to go, we can vicariously enjoy the experience through Regina. So the very first residency that, that you spoke about, Regina, was your Tiffinach sale at, in Morocco. So can you tell us a little bit just about how you came to come to, first of all, that concept and how you actually got to Morocco?
1: I've done two residencies in Morocco in the same place and I'm going to go back for a third one in February. I've also done residencies in Iceland, the Cook Islands, Sweden. The Moroccan ones are probably the most interesting ones for people who, who want to hear interesting stories about what happens when you do a residency. I found it simply by using the website Res Artist. so if anybody wants to find out about residencies available across the world, that's where you go. Res Artists, you check the website, you'll put in where you want to go and then hundreds and hundreds of opportunities arise and they're all different in their requirements and in what's available and things like that. So that's un- something of research and legwork that you need to do so do they specify what they actually
2: want in those residencies or
1: there's normally an application process where you have to propose a project that you want to do while you're there it varies greatly it really depends some are large some are small like the moroccan one the first time i went there were eight other artists from all over the world some are only where you some are so small that you are the only person there, so it really depends what's what's on offer. The Moroccan one I came across on that website, um, I have an interest in Muslim countries, and I have been to other Muslim countries before, and so that just sort of seemed to make sense to me, although, as I found out very quickly, the place I was going to go to had nothing to do with Muslim culture, but was in fact a Berber village. Which is really interesting. And very beautiful too. And very beautiful. Mm. So once we get to see the images. <laughs> mm, mm. So, can anyway, you just yeah, sorry.
2: Expand a little bit on
1: why you have this interest in the Muslim culture. So, uh, just because my experience in Muslim countries, and I taught uh, a course in, in uh, Iran just before 9 11. Um, and so my, my exposure to Muslim culture and my experience with it has been very positive, and I really enjoyed doing it. And so I've since then travelled to other Muslim countries um, and always enjoyed my experiences. So was that with your art that you were no, involved in? No, mm. That's previous life experience.
2: Ah, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So when you saw the Moroccan um, opportunity come up, did you have something in mind once you'd seen that, or did that grow? No, I had no
1: particular artwork in mind. I knew that I had to go there and work with whatever was available in terms of materials, what you what you find, um, because travelling across the world with a suitcase full of art materials doesn't really sort of make sense to me. And I also... I'm not very fixed in the medium I use. I work with anything, so... Um, I approached it more as a great opportunity to have an engagement with all the other artists who were there, who were writers, painters, photographers, um, and I, I pretty much relied on the fact that something would come up that I could work with. And so, the the first artwork I did is what's called a what I call the Tiffina Sale. While I was travelling around, I, I did a 10-day tour before I went to the residency so I could get some sense of Morocco because I hadn't been to Morocco before. And um, I came across a lot of symbols that weren't Arabic and they weren't um, our alphabet, but they were... a. a part of an alphabet that I hadn't come across and that is the Tifinagh alphabet that was used to write Berber language and of course because Morocco as you may know has been overrun and, and dominated by first the Arabs and then the French that sort of language and the alphabet were no longer available in schools so people didn't, people didn't learn it Since 2003, the the alphabet and the language has been reintroduced in schools but has been very patchy in terms of teaching because, as you can imagine, there weren't all that many teachers around who knew the language or the alphabet, and so it took a while for that to build up. One of the often-repeated symbols of the Tiffany alphabet is the letter Z, which also stands for free people. And so wherever you go in Berber areas in Morocco, there's this sign. And If I had a blackboard, I'd show you. Um, And that sign just tells you a number of things. One is it tells you you are in a Berber area or you are in an area where there's some Berber resistance going on. And it also tells you that the Berbers have, over long periods of time, struggled for their independence and recognition of their culture. So something that's not so unusual for us Australians to relate to, I suppose.
2: And there's an area around that um, Moroccan installation, or the the complex that you went to, where they've got that symbol up on a hill. That's
1: right. The traditionally, like in Morocco, generally, wherever you come to a village up on a hill, there's the name of the village in white rocks laid out. And a lot of the villages have in Arabic writing the name of the village, but also a quote from the Quran. And so, yeah, okay, thanks. I'll I'll play with it. Thank you, thank you, Robert. <laughs> um, and so, in in this particular area, they have that symbol and the name of the village on the on the hill. Sorry, this is all a bit awkward. Um, yeah. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. I will. You won't be unless you come be close or somebody walks around with you.
2: I'm going to bring this over
1: to you. Oh, i got one. Yeah, just come closer. It'll be better. It'll be cosy. It'll be
3: cosy. I'll stand behind. Why don't you sit there? Oh, I'll
1: sit there. Then you can't see anything. Oh, you need to move forward. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so this is the Tiffinar sale. Um,
2: so can I was we gonna, just
1: go back a little bit? That's right. I so was going to go back to how did I actually arrive yes, at that point? Yes. That's right. That was the. That was the. I don't know. No. No. That's the ending. To go to the
2: beginning again. Uh, go to that one. <laughs> We've just got to keep pressing, it's just loading. Here we go. So we just need to.
1: Get back.
2: How many of these do we have to get through? Regina?
1: Why don't we go to that? Yeah, that's Ah, what sorry, I'm doing. not touch the. Yeah, so. No, you, sorry. This sorry. One here. No. Sorry, I'm getting. We we'll leave it. So using that symbol meant. So, sorry, I just had, I just need a second. So having understood what that symbol stood for, it gave me an in into thinking about well, what is the artwork I'm going to do, and it has to do it has to do something with where I was and that, and that way of expressing independence that Berbers have choos- chosen by way of using that alphabet. And so basically what I did is I produced a sail that has written on it in Berber language and alphabet. The first article of the Human Rights Convention. So it says we are all born free and equal in dignity and rights. That's what that sail says that you saw there, with the letter Z being used decoratively in those circles. It's quite, it's
2: quite a circular flowing design. Yeah. On the, the, on the sail, which is um, made of. How it's, it's it made
1: of building material that I, mm. that I got there. So it's a double, double layer plastic foil that I bought at the local markets and the paint is just car paint that that you could get at the local markets as well. Um, the, The process was quite involved because, of course, given that I don't speak Berber, and I don't write Berber, how do you know what the first article of the Human Rights Convention looks like in Berber? And given that the people surrounding me were too old to have to have gone to school while it was taught. (laughs) It was almost impossible to find somebody who could basically read and write Berber to to the extent that I could be confident that I had the right text. So one one of the things I did was I found the next internet cafe in a tiny little town close to the village and I went online and the United Nations website has a translation of the Human Rights Declaration in any language. Um, so I found that. But I've also had the experience previously with Arab interpretations that the United Nations use and they don't work with people, in Arab speaking different people. So I had, I had to get that checked and I had to find out whether I got the right translation or not. Um, so that involved a lot of talking to the right people and using the right networks to be able to get that and I got that so in the end the sale went ahead and you well, you didn't see the product <laughs> but, um, the, the, I, I guess the, one of the positive things about the whole process was when it came to hanging the sale because it was very tall, it was about five metres tall and about two and a half metres across and I couldn't do that myself and I'm also not experienced in, you know, not making and things like that. But of course, Berber people who, who have a long tradition of setting up tents and stabilising tents um, were quite helpful and so these two guys who are on the, on the photo, um, one of them could read the text, and the other couldn't, but they were very pleased with the fact that finally some body who sort of you know participates in the in the residency program did actually something that related to them and didn't just relate to whatever the artists who came there wanted to do for themselves.
2: Again, can so, you just
1: tell us a bit about? what the place was like when you got like what what the setup was of the 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 place is uh, a compound set up by an Australian woman called Karen Hadfield um, who has history in music in this country and she she bought it and developed it and um, she's very well integrated in in the community and she lives there permanently, so that's that's what it is. It's made up of a main house where um, eating happens, and then there are several different sleeping quarters, a couple of studios that are all made up of r- rammed earth buildings. With they're just four walls basically, um, and you've got a everything else you've got a you got a organise yourself, whatever it is you need. Um,
2: so how did you do that? How did you deal with the, getting the necessities that you
1: required for your residency? You got fed, and then twice a week there was a car going to the local town and you could do shopping at the, at the bazaar for whatever you needed. And there was pretty much everything available. It's a bit of the sale there. Yeah, that's the final... That's where it's hung in the end... And a little bit of the, the yeah. area that it was in. Yeah. yeah. So that was the fir- that was half of the first residency, and then I tend to there we go. Yeah, there's there's the sale as a whole. If you want to know that, I told the story about it. And who are the gentlemen that are sitting with you? They are the two Perba people who who helped me hang it, um, who were on the staff of. Mm of the compound mm. and
2: um... And you also did, did a lot yeah. of collaborations though too with the other guys that were... the other artists that were there.
1: On that occasion, not so much because um, they were, or most most artists who were there wanted to do their own thing rather than developing something that had to do with where we were, which tends to be the way it is in residencies. You often find that artists have their own plan and that's what they want to do and they don't necessarily want to collaborate with anybody. However, yes, that is that's the slide that leads into the next project and Excellent. of course <laughs> of course what happens is, or the way the way I work is there are always coincidences that occur that make you move into a different direction. So and that's had...
2: actually what we really liked about your your talk last time was just the, the, the nature of the way you experienced different things and were able to take things in different directions.
1: Yeah, so we we got this beautiful full moon rise one night, pretty exciting. And so I so that that's what happened. And at the same time what happened is by walking around in the desert, this is in the Sahara. So by walking around in the desert, we found all those empty water bottles, scourge of plastic everywhere, and um, so that then gelled into another artwork which is made up of plastic bottles and it makes, it, it's the creation of the different moon phases, that's the start of it, on blue Hessian, cutting up the water bottles yeah, so they they then became long pieces Here of material. Go. You keep going. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That 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 was the second. That that was the second artwork while I was there. The first time. Um, yeah, oh, very beautiful. It was
0: yeah.
1: Huge. What size was it? Well, they were they sort of five meters. Second second visit. I decided to use the symbol. That's the symbol of, like this. That one. one that yeah. That's the three people symbol again. But I decided to use it differently and I was gonna bring it down from the hill, like figuratively speaking. I was gonna bring it down from the hill and put it into the village and... Um, How did the villagers respond to that? Oh, they came and visited and the kids loved it. It was fun. Yeah. Um, and all, all I did was I built 17 of those and wrapped them in aluminium foil so they would be shiny. Then Next they one. got distributed. Yeah, keep going. We go. Yeah, like that. And, um, yeah, they were just sitting there in the landscape. And the original idea behind it was that because there's lots lots of sub-Saharan refugee trails going through all of that region, you like? that it looked a bit like people moving moving through the area.
2: And all meaning freedom. And all meaning freedom, that's right.
1: And the... Oops, there we go. And then the the incidental artwork that happened was somebody seeing a broken down emergency blanket somewhere in the desert. And that reminded me that I had carried an emergency blanket in in my equipment for a long time, and we got it out. And we found that these the interior, like the centre, had, had disintegrated over the, the years I had it in my, in my pack. And so we developed that as a project. While I was there, there were a whole range of um, alternative filmmakers. And so they, they found a perfect screen, in adverted adver- in commas, to play with. Um, and so we had set up a silver screen made up of an emergency blanket that then deteriorated in the wind and the sun and then became used as a backdrop for portrait photos, a bit like a photographic studio in the desert, mm-hmm. and which then allowed us to take portraits of people who happened to be there at the time. And so they were just the villagers that had their portraits. They were so mostly okay. people who worked at the compound. Mm-hmm. And that, that's one of the portraits. That's me. But but that's how we then used the screen as 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 backdrop. So that was the that was the second residency in that place. And the silver screens. That's that's Karen, the woman who owns it.
2: And that was unusual because she dressed like a man that, for that, that, that's, wasn't a, that? that's a male
1: get-up, yeah. yeah. Yeah,
0: Is there a reason for
1: that? I think it's her expression of being an independent woman, <laughs> really. Mm. Like in, a, in a in a Muslim country, but... And what but about the parents, this family? Yeah, you? that's that's her again, Karen. That guy's one of the filmmakers who couldn't be convinced to leave the shot. <laughs> and... Um, that's that's her what the these two are her staff and the son of of the woman. This this man was also there the first time I was there and was one of the guys who helped me hung the sail. So, oh okay. Yeah. So we already had a had a connection there.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so now in the in because everything I I do leads to something else I do next. And using the silver blanket of course has now been a major part of the installation we recently had at Hawkesbury Heights Lookout about the dying fish in the, in the Murray-Darling River.
2: And there's actually a really terrific um, video that's been created of that that's now available on Facebook on the BMCAN site. So if you go onto um, BMCAN on Facebook,
1: you, you can just, um, I think it's about fourth entry down. It's called Let the Barkar Flow. Yeah. So there you go. That's a story of one one place that I've gone to and keep going back to. You've also yeah, been to other places as well, Iceland and Sweden. Yeah, I've been to Iceland and Sweden and the Cook Islands. And I've done very different things in all those places. Although the in Iceland I used the Human Rights Convention again and it's mm. written in Icelandic. I wrote it in Icelandic on a, on a totem pole. So... And one
2: of the one of the really interesting things were the people that you met along the way as well that helped you in your installations. There was a welder a guy that had all of these
1: amazing old um, uh, he had two sheds full this in this sense we metal. He had two sheds full of machinery parts and things
2: mm. So and how did you meet him?
1: Well, he's a, he's a friend of a friend of mine and he's, a, he's an old guy and he lives in, his, in, in this village in Sweden. He's one of the bigger landowners around there. And, and he's so, a bit
2: eccentric, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah, and he invited <laughs> me to come and he wanted to teach me welding and that was great because, you know, I love to learn new things. And so we went around his, his land there. With, he followed me with a, with a, a lift thing. Not a cr- well, something like a crane, but sort of on a on a tractor base, basically. And he followed me, and I just went, oh, I had that one, right mm-hmm. I have that one. And then he dumped all these pieces in the in the welding shed, and then I had to put them all together. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: That was great. Yeah. And, uh, so, so when you do your residencies, do yeah. you leave your artwork for those? Yes. Yeah. They always stay behind. Mm. Um, it would have been hard to take
1: that one Well <laughs> that <laughs> yes, You could put that in your suitcase
2: mm.
1: that's, that's the case But but also It wasn't so much important in Sweden But I think in Morocco It was important to leave that behind To not take mm. it A lot of residencies stipulate That you have to leave an, art, an, mm. an artwork behind mm. So so you can take whatever But you, you need to leave at least one, one artwork behind
2: and is it an expensive um,
1: prospect doing your residencies? Um... That varies. Like the Moroccan ones, I personally I find very cheap because you, you get you get fed and you pay. Well, what is it that I pay? I think I pay. About, I I paid about two hundred and fifty dollars a week, which of course you can live cheaper in Morocco than that. But I thought that was pretty. Pretty reasonable. Yeah, and but it, it does vary. Iceland is very expensive, but mm-hmm. then Iceland as a whole is very expensive anyway, so their residency was very expensive.
2: Would you say your Moroccan one
1: was the most rewarding? It was me? certainly the most, for me, the, the most rewarding in the sense that the landscape in itself is just so incredibly beautiful and evocative of all the good the good things mm. <laughs> I think that we can find in landscape mm. it's a very diverse landscape although it is in the Sahara it's amazingly diverse like when you stand on a hill and you look around 360 degree the view changes completely all the time so that in itself is fabulous and also being able to be in a place where people sort of Hang on to their independence and their traditional lifestyles. Like when the when the Arabs came and they wanted everybody to become a Muslim, the Berbers became Catholic, and when the French came, the Berbers became Muslims. And so there is this there is this way of like they don't fight, but they try and cope with whatever is put in front of them, in a in a quiet resistance to to uh, what happens. So I I found that very um, very engaging but that the people surrounding me were all pretty clear about who they were
2: mm. so is that where point. your interest in the, the the United Nations international human rights declaration came from or
1: well i found because i've always had a, had a been to do political art and i found that the human the the Declaration of Human Rights is probably the, it's the common denominator that works everywhere without people getting too upset about Mm. any political views because everybody can agree on that very basic statement that we are all born equal. I mean, not everybody agrees on it, but publicly publicly, that is a statement that Mm. you can get away with as, Mm. as a political statement.
2: Um, thanks very much
1: Regina, that's really
2: helpful. I would encourage everybody to have a look at that um, video of the installation, it was at Hawkesbury Lookout and it was absolutely fantastic.
0: Thank you both very much for the conversation, thank you Regina. Um, I think you've opened a lot of uh, thoughtful aspects about the relationship between art and politics, art and nationhood. Art and identity, and I think it's something that's really important for us as artists, whether we're musicians, writers, or what, to actually engage with those sorts of ideas. I think it's really helpful that you brought that before us today to think about. And I'm sure there's people here who would perhaps like to ask you some questions, or um, whether it's about artists in residency programs or about that that aspect of art in relationship to uh, social. Mm. Environment, and um, so we'll open it now for questions. If people would like to enter into conversation with Regina um, about her work, and perhaps if there was an image that they wanted to have another look at, uh, we can bring that up for people to get a bit closer to. Um, Yes, so please feel free to um, ask a question or prompt Regina's memory.
1: Or Uh, for the burghers themselves, there may not the um, embroidery and silver and heavy jewellery or do the men they, actually do calligraphy no they, they, they do a lot of embroidery, they do a lot of silversmithing and jewellery making that's the women the men do a lot of herding of camels and mm-hmm. digging for water and things like that yeah. Yeah. they do a lot of uh, dyeing as in Putting colour onto cloth, and um, they make their own clothes, stuff like that. Is that what you asked? Yeah, no, yeah. just to know if there was. Uh, I mean, as well as that's just on the fact of weaving and making silverware, there must be a lot of symbolism. There must be a lot of you know heritage, yeah, um, you know, inscriptions yeah. and so on within those. They, that symbol gets used everywhere, like right? in in everything, on everything. And I'm sure they use other symbols as well that that are not quite as uh, common, but that one is because it's such a powerful statement. You know, every time you draw that on a... or you spray paint that on a door or something, it makes a really strong statement. That's why it's so ubiquitous, really. I'd like to ask you, Regina, did you
0: find yourself being changed by the places that you went to? Did you being in, in environments which are so different from what we know here, did, did it have an effect on you and what, what, what ha- did you notice happening
1: in yourself? One of the things why I keep doing residencies is because you endlessly learn about, not only about different places, but also about how you respond to those different places. And that in itself, of course, I think means that you change because you learn about yourself and you change your your way of responding to things or you you know you might not change some of the things that, that you re- respond to but um, i i think it's an ongoing learning experience and that's what i really enjoy about it i enjoy that ab- most about being an artist that you can actually learn new things every day and if you choose to but that's, that's the best thing about it, is there's nothing fixed in the, in the experience that you can have. And residencies, because they are so diverse and you have to respond to things, um, I think that's, that's, why that's why they are so satisfying, is because you learn so much in, in it. There are downsides. They mostly relate to managing other artists' expectations. <laughs> mm. Mm. Um, that's not always easy.
0: You mean in the residency itself? Yeah. Other artists and they have expectations of you and what you... No, would...
1: that's about artists arriving with expectations that can't be met by the place where they're at and then them not necessarily being very well able to manage the disappointments that they experience. So, yeah. so
3: that
0: makes it difficult for everybody around it them? It makes things.
1: it very difficult for everybody else. That's right. Yeah. So that's I think that's been the most difficult that's been the most difficult in all, all of my experiences because you are creative and if you are creative then you can just do whatever you like and if it doesn't work out then that's everybody else's problem and not yours. Um, so this there is, there is a, sometimes you encounter that in, in these in these places.
2: Was that when you were sharing spaces with other artists and there were difficulties with
1: that? Uh No it's not about sharing spaces it's just about people chucking tantrums and things oh, okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> <four>. <laughs> and and you know being negative about people who are organizing the residencies because they are not providing what that what they want and stuff like that so the group dynamics can be hard but did you come to share the dining room felt, or? yeah we in in morocco in morocco you always eat together that's in in that one that, that's, yeah. because it's catered so you, you arrive like they, they call out when breakfast, lunch and dinner are served and everybody just arrives and, and uh, you eat together um,
2: What's the food like?
1: Oh, Moroccan food's fabulous okay. <laughs> and um, because it's all there's no processed food inside yeah. so it's all good, it's all fresh
2: Always good to know about the food.
0: See, I'm very aware that there's quite a few musicians or musical people around today. So, did you find that the artists in residency programs had a mix of musicians, writers, artists?
1: I haven't come across um, musicians in in the residencies, but that's not. Intentional. I think that's that's just happened. That some of the selections, like some of the groups that come together, just don't have one in them because nobody applied or something like that. Like we had, we had everything else, as I said earlier, like writers, photographers, painters, um, performers. So it's been quite varied, but no musicians.
3: In Morocco, were there many uh, musical groups that you were hearing in the way of life?
1: Yes, there are. Um, well, one, one, we had a couple of organised functions where where the drummers came, just specifically to drum for us. Um, and then there were some incidental um, music events where, where people, staff, Thought they were unobserved, but they weren't, and they <laughs> and they smoked a bit of pot, and they they had great drumming sessions and stuff. So that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
3: so that, is that illegal in? Morocco no, so they could end up in Yeah,
1: they could, but you know, in in those villages they are so remote, it's so remote that it's not very likely that right. the law the law comes walking past and catches him. <laughs> So how did you get there? Um, Twelve-hour bus from either <laughs> from either Marrakech or um, Fez. That's a bit of a uh, it's a bit of a slog, but uh-huh. yeah. So you, you take a bus from Marrakech to the bo- like to close to the Algerian border, and then you get picked up by by four-wheel drive, and it's a bit of a sort of a half an hour drive into the desert from there.
0: You have
1: to be pretty brave to do it, Regina. Twelve-hour bus uh, ride. I we... don't know. I, yeah. I suppose I've travelled so much that that I don't. And I've never, I've never, I've never ever, come across any problems that I couldn't manage. And and I mean, there's always hiccups everywhere. But if you can manage them, that that's just the way it is. And. Um, So I'm pretty confident, I suppose, in the sense that you can engage in those things and embark on those things and don't have to worry much about what you do. I mean, if things go wrong, they go wrong. That's it. Life.
3: (laughs) Uh, Can I ask another question? Sure. Um, As an artist, Mm. do you feel that what you're documenting in your work is for longevity as far as other people enjoying it further beyond the event. Uh, How important is
1: no? That? It's not important to me. Um, like those, all those things. Like when I went back second time, the next, you know, windstorm had taken them away, or sandstorm had blasted them. That they, they, you know. But they're ephemeral. They are not. They are not
3: permanent. Okay, yeah. but. The, do you have a platform, say if um, somebody like George Gittos documents wars and the, the paintings then get exhibited, say in Australia, at the National Art Gallery as a part of the ongoing process, Yeah. do you see your work entering into our society that way?
1: Uh, yeah. As an artist? Uh, I've, it's I've, not important. I mean well, we've, it's, not, it's not very important to me no but um, I, I, I mean we've just started with the video that you can see on, on Facebook if you want to go there um, that's just one way of documenting the process and there's, a, there's another video um, that was made about the silver screen in Morocco because there happened to be filmmakers there, so they made a video of it, which is good, but it wasn't necessarily set up and planned in that way. Um, so th- those things now exist. Um, most of the art where well, artworks themselves no longer exist. Yeah. But there's documentation and that exists and it's available. It. Yeah. And you know, I I drag that out every now and then and show it to people <laughs>
3: I think it's important to have some sort of documentation. Yeah, I agree. We're, I in agree. It, we're in another age now which the old system of going along to a gallery to see yeah. things hung, yeah. is, although yeah. it's still going and yeah. it's a wonderful part of the art world, it's not what the world's about no. anymore. Um, I agree. So
1: documentation not. is really important. It's also important... For your own development, so you can look at it and go, well, you know, what did I do? Ah, look at that. That's how I did that. And you know, when as as you progress, you, you learn from that as well. So as as a as a writing of your own history, it's it's pretty important. Yeah.
3: I hate hogging the floor for questions, but I've got one that kept on coming through my mind. I don't know what the um, Declaration of Human Rights actually says.
1: It has a lot of different articles, but the first one starts with we are all born free and equal in dignity and rights. And then, and then it sets out all sorts of things about what we all as humanity agree on mm-hmm. to believe about who we are and what our
3: values are. And that was written on the sale?
1: That, the first article was written on the sale, yes. And we were hoping that the soldiers who were guarding the border, because all very be close to the border and on the hills around the village, there are soldiers stationed. And we were hoping they were using their binoculars and reading what was written on the <laughs> <laughs> to... Able... Did you say it was
0: in Bur- Berber? Yeah, yeah. So they wouldn't be able to The soldiers be to... were Berbers. Bur- oh, okay. yeah,
1: but, but um, yeah, but you never know. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
3: <laughs> You're a brave lady. Yeah,
1: okay, thank you. Any, yeah, that's it. And I, don't, I, I don't know. Do you think you could load, given that the images exist, do you, that you could load them somewhere where people could look look at them?
3: We can put them up on the talking outside.
1: Yeah. yeah. So okay. So go to the talking site and you can see the photos. You didn't see to that. <laughs>